Expert insight, clear analysis, strategy in action. Welcome to the CEO to CEO podcast, featuring the world's top CEOs. The podcast will welcome honest conversations meant to challenge traditional ways of thinking from fellow global industry leaders. This podcast will also explore the intricate world of M&A from an insider's perspective. M&A is a big deal, one in which you can drive the future of your business, your industry, and even the trajectory of the marketplace. This podcast is hosted by Kevin Campbell, CEO of Synity. Synity is a global enterprise data solution provider specializing in data operations and data transformation. Kevin is a global champion in data and has served as the former Group Chief Executive Officer at Accenture and COO of Oscar Insurance Corporation. This week's guest, Sue Cerner, is the founder and CEO of Cerner Social, a social media consultancy agency focused on social media strategy, governance, risk, and security. Sue's one of the nation's top experts on social media safety and spent nearly nine years leading the global social media program for Cargill, the largest private company in the United States. Welcome to this week's CEO to CEO podcast. And today I'm fortunate to have on with me, Sue Cerna. And Sue is uh, the CEO of Cerna Social and an expert in social media, all the good things that can happen and all the bad things that can happen. So we're going to uh, have an interesting conversation that I think will be valuable to everybody today. So Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, why don't you give us a little bit about your background um, and you know how you got to this point? So I am a proud alum of University of Delaware, Fighting Blue Hens, um, and I'm from Philadelphia originally. I started my professional career as a reporter. I was a journalist for 10 years. I covered business and specifically retail for all 10 years. So really uh, looking at consumer trends, the economy, consumer behavior, that kind of thing. Um, And then after 10 years of doing that, I transitioned into this new and exciting field of social media. And for the last eight and a half years, I was the, the head of social media at Cargill, which is the largest private company in the United States. Uh, where I helped build kind of social media from the ground up. Uh, I left Cargill last year and started my own company, Cerna Social. uh, And now I'm consulting with companies about how to do social smartly and safely. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your company? Okay. Um, So Cerna Social is a social media consulting agency, but unlike a lot of agencies, we, we aren't a we do everything under the sun for you social media agency. Uh, I really focus on three key areas, um, strategy assistance for folks, um, training. If people need social media training, I'm a well-versed trainer in all sorts of social media. And then really my core focus is the safety and governance of social media. I personally believe that big companies and even smaller companies are about to Uh, find out that they are not prepared for the intersection of social media management and cybersecurity. I really, truly believe that most companies are not managing social media in a safe way, partially because they don't know how and partially because the risk kind of flies under the radar at most companies. Um, And so I am trying to position myself to take my expertise from Cargill, where we had almost 400 social media channels, uh, to 
to helping companies understand how to do that well and safely so that they and their brand are not the ones in the news for getting their Twitter account hacked or for you know the employee that accidentally tweeted something on the company account that was supposed to be on their personal account. All of those things can be avoided with good social media governance. So that's the third pillar. How did you become so passionate about this um, social, uh, social uh, media and in particular safety and governance as you call it? Yeah, so um, <laughs> my first uh, my first inclination on an answer to that is to just admit I'm a control freak. <laughs> very type A, very OCD. And so as the global head of social media for a company with so many social media accounts around the world, it really became important to me to understand just the basics, right? How many accounts do we have? Where are they located? Who is in charge of each one? Who's responsible for each one? Um, most companies, don't even know that, you know, a lot of companies will tell you like, oh yeah, there's this Twitter account here and nobody knows who started it and we don't have control of it, but it's supposedly about our company, right? A lot of that is governance work, uh, just figuring out what's out there and having your house in order, right? Then you add the depth of complexity, right? So take, take a company that has 400 social media accounts, right? You have 400 accounts. Most companies say that you need at least two people in charge of that account, uh, you know, for redundancy's sake, you know, if somebody's on vacation or somebody's on maternity leave, you need at least two owners per account. Then you have agency partners that you're dealing with and their teams. And then you add the paid side of the house. You might have two or 300 paid social media accounts that also are managed, that also have people that need to be associated with them. And there's all the record keeping and all of the keeping things up to date and blah, 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 right? So there, that's kind of the universe that you're managing when you do social at that scale, plus regulatory issues, GDPR in Europe, CCPA in California, uh, the, F, the SEC has, or the FTC has rules about social media, you know, so it's, it's really becoming a field that you need some deep expertise in to just simply keep your company above board and safe and be able to survive something like an audit or a lawsuit or, uh, uh, you know, a claim that you violated some regulatory policy, right? Um, and a lot of companies just simply have not realized that the risk is even there yet. And they certainly don't do a good job of managing it. What risk do I have? You know, I, I basically say, oh, you know, that's for the teenagers, right? right? And the other people that are out there, what's the worst that can happen? Right, right. I, my answer to that when I'm talking to an executive level person is one slide that has a big pile of money on it and the words $50 million, right? These are regulations that are coming down for data privacy and social media specifically. Some of them carry extremely hefty fines, especially, honestly, if you're a big name company. You know, if you're a company that's going to get a headline and the regulators want people to understand that they're serious, they'll go out and slap a really big fine on a really big company because they're trying to make a point. And in Europe, specific to GDPR, some of these fines have been as high as $50 million. And so I always tell people, you know, hey, unless you want to go explain to your CEO why you just cost the company $50 million, it's something you really do need to pay attention to. So I'm sure you've got a, you know, five-point plan that uh, that everybody that you could do an do you do audits or assessments for people? Yep, that's actually usually the first step that I recommend, right? Because the other thing people have to understand is the social media landscape has gotten extremely complicated, right? You used to just have LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, right? You used to have a, an account for each. 
but now the platforms have, you know, you can have a private group, you can have a location page, you can have a business page, you, you know, there's all these different types of pages, some of which are actually auto generated by the platforms, you know, so it's not that someone in your company went rogue and started something, which is an issue. But it's literally that someone checked into your business location in Topeka and Facebook auto-generated a location page, right? And so then it's nobody owns that page. Do you need to claim that page? What if somebody posts something bad on that page or your employee posts a picture of something that shouldn't be public, right? All of those things happen. And without a proper governance model, there's no protocols for how to handle it, right? And there's also no one to go to to handle it. So it ends up in this weird kind of vortex of corporate swirl, right? Um, big companies doing social at that scale really need to have standard op standard operating procedures for how do we handle auto-generated pages? When do we claim them? How are they managed? Who's responsible for them, right? And how are they monitored? You know, then you have the issue of people just starting things that they're not authorized to, which is a different issue. Uh, but you know, it's 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 become extremely complicated to the point that you actually kind of need an expert. You know, I wrote a blog post about it um, this morning. Boston Scientific posted a job for basically a digital data governance lead. You know, to work with compliance, to work with legal, to be their brand safety ambassador to other parts of the organization. I thought it was a brilliant job position, um, you know, and I think we're going to see more big companies hiring roles like that because it's becoming a real true need. And do you suggest that uh, somebody in the company monitor all the channels? You can buy tools um, that are called social media management systems, SMMS for short. Um, the two big players in the space are called Sprinkler and Koros, um, and they are tools that you use to actually manage your social media accounts. So like you do the posting and the responding to comments and stuff all through the tool. But the other thing that the tool does is it archives everything that happens on your channels, which is really important from both a legal standpoint if you end up in a lawsuit, but also from a accountability standpoint, right? So if you are you know, if you have one of those incidents where somebody posts something that they shouldn't, being yeah. able to go into your records and say conclusively, these three people are the three people who have access to that channel or had access at that given time. And we can see through our tool that it was this individual who posted it, right? That kind of accountability and record keeping becomes really, really important because otherwise you end up in a position where you can't tell who was responsible and that's really dangerous. And if somebody makes a mistake in what they posted, right, they just fat fingered it or did something else, what do you suggest the company does? Well, I mean, typos happen, right? I mean, I don't think a typo is a, a thing that get es gets escalated necessarily, right? If somebody legitimately posts something they should not, you know, like something that violates another company policy or something that shows unsafe behavior at a facility that the company owns, for instance, right? Those are things that do get escalated. It's um, related to social listening, which is a whole other part of the social media atmosphere, right? But, you know, most big companies now monitor so social media mentions of their brand. You know, some companies literally look at every single mention. Other companies do kind of roundup reporting, right? Different companies have different... Um, belief systems about how rigorous they want to be with their social listening. But at the very least, most big companies do slash should have a system that actually ingests all of that and again, keeps a record of it. 
because as we all know, people will delete tweets if they suddenly find themselves under fire. So those types of tools actually give you a record of something, even if it's later deleted, which is important. I've heard stories of people that were stranded at an airport and tweeted something and, and got a call from something. I honestly say, you know, I do use Twitter to complain mm-hmm. when I get really upset, uh, like most other people do. I've never gotten a call. So I don't <laughs> know whether I'm just not uh, complaining to savvy companies or, you know, I could understand if DoorDash is down, you know, it's probably, I'm probably not the only tweet they got, right? Yes. Well, it also depends. Oh, so it depends on the company, right? And what their their model is for monitoring and responding to those types of comments, right? There are some companies that have giant command centers with screens on the walls where they monitor everything in real time. It looks very like, you know, movie-esque, right? Um, You know, there's others that, again, don't look at it every day. There's others that have companies that do it for them. Um, But, you know, I think it's really fascinating. The companies that do it well have understood that an angry consumer, you know, tweeting at you directly on social media expects an answer and usually in minutes to like under an hour. And so there's companies that really, really, really place an emphasis on doing that and making that happen. And then there's other companies that just decide this is not a primary customer service channel (laughs) and like people can complain and we'll record those, but like, we're not going to try to respond to every single one. Right. So it largely depends on the company. I think we're seeing a shift though. I mean, especially now in the COVID times, you know, we are seeing so many people turn to social media as a customer service channel. You know, they are expecting to be able to interact with companies on social media and get customer service type answers that I think companies that are not thinking about how to make that happen internally have a problem, you know, and usually it's structural, you know, the customer service team that has access to the consumer's data is over here and the social media team is over here and they can't, um, they can't access that data, so they can't help the customer, right? And so companies that have not yet figured it out should be thinking about how do we, you know, have some crossover between those two teams so that we can provide customer service in a real authentic way via social media. And then of course, from a security standpoint, you have to worry about protecting all that consumer data. If you were uh, going in and you've done the assessment, uh, what are the kinds of things that you suggest after the assessment to follow up? I know it depends on what you find, but what are, you know, take a couple of examples that you've done before and say, what are the typical things you're going to suggest for people? I assume training's got to be near that top of the list. Yeah. So usually at the end of an audit, (laughs) the outcome is a giant list of social media accounts and pages, some of which the company owns and some that they don't, some that they knew about and some that they don't, right? So usually the next step for me is to propose a cleanup. And the cleanup can be a couple of things, right? One, we're going to go through all those channels and make sure they're branded correctly. Are they using the right version of your logo? Does the imagery look good? Have they filled out the about section? Do they link to your website? Just basics, table stakes, right? But a lot of companies haven't even gotten that far, right? So first, we're going to clean it up from a brand perspective. Second, we're going to go through the exercise of deleting, shutting down, merging, doing whatever we need to do to really consolidate down to the the list of channels that you actually want to maintain going forward, right? Um, We're going to do a massive kind of get rid of the junk exercise, if you will, right? And then finally, 
we're going to look at the strategy behind those channels, right? Because a lot of times what I find is that a company went out and started a TikTok because the, you know, the CEO's daughter is on TikTok and they thought it sounded good. So an email went out and said, hey, why aren't we on TikTok, right? Without actually asking the, the right strategy questions, right? Who's our audience? Are they on TikTok? What type of content can we produce there that's going to be meaningful and interesting and get engagement, right? What is the purpose of that? Are we trying to get conversions? You know, what are we doing there? What is the end goal? Um, you know, people don't ask those questions. They just start channels for no good reason, right? Even for the reasons like my boss said we need one or, um, you know, I, I don't know why we need to be there, but my competitor's there. So I want to be there, right? You know, people don't think strategically. So once we get the audit done, we can look at your full universe of channels, get rid of stuff that you don't need, and then focus on why you need the ones we're keeping, right? Well, it's amazing you say that example because I was driving in my car with my son yesterday and he said to me, why don't you at Synity have a TikTok channel? <laughs> and what did you tell him? <laughs> I said, because I don't think our, our target audience watches TikTok. Right. Uh, so, and I don't think we need any more channels. We're trying to maximize the ones that, uh, that we've got out there. Um, yeah. Another thing we talk about a lot on this show is mergers, right? Because that's, you know, for CEOs, that's a big porn. I'm either going to buy something, I'm going to sell something, or I'm going to carve something out. So how do you, what do you suggest we do uh, and for CEOs out there? If you're going to go merge with a company or you're going to carve out part of it, how do I put a social plan in place? Yep. So if you do a lot of merger acquisition type activity, you should also have a standard operating procedure for how you do those for social, right? Um, Cargill grew a lot by acquisition in my time there. So we really had it down by the end of it. Um, you know, if you do that more than once every blue moon, you really ought to have thought through, here's the way we want to approach that. And I will tell you one of the tricks to a, an acquisition when it comes to social is that the acquiring company, the new parent company is responsible for all of those accounts on day one, right? So if you're in the financial industry, for instance, and you are beholden to FINRA, all of those accounts are your responsibility as of day one. So the time to start, um, to start like figuring out how you're gonna manage all these new channels is not on day one. It's well, well, well before day one, right? So, you know, usually what would happen is, uh, the team involved in the acquisition would let us know that the acquisition was coming. Um, it's really important that they tell you as soon as they legally are allowed, right? And I understand that sometimes for legal reasons, they can't just tell everybody that they're planning a merger, right? But as soon as you can loop your social team in, do it because they need some run-up time, right? And so on my end, once I understood that, I would, I would clamor to get a hold of the social media team for the other company and we would start working. And I would ask for an inventory of all their channels and the individuals responsible for each channel. I would ask for a parallel inventory of all their ad accounts and the people responsible for each one. We would ask them which tools they were using because sometimes you have to walk through, you know, we have different tools that do the same thing. So which one are we gonna keep? And, you know, what does that mean in term of, terms of operation? There may be training, there may be onboarding. All of those things kind of have to be in the works or ready to go on day one. Um, 
because you know quite honestly you you as the head of social media of the parent company are responsible for everything on day one you're responsible for everything that goes out on those channels you're responsible for archiving them you're responsible for knowing who's responsible for each one of them and so you know it really does take i'm gonna say 60 days at least to really be ready to go on day one for a big social acquisition um but a lot of people don't realize that and so you'll get you know two days before the event, you'll get somebody in your office going, oh, by the way, we're buying something. Um, they have a social media team, I think. Uh, we'll figure that out. You know, Don't do that to your social team. They really do need some lead up time um, to be ready to go and to cover your bases from a risk and legal perspective. Two questions I like to ask every CEO that comes on. So I wanna make sure that we ask you here in the time we have remaining is okay. about mentors. Yes, I think, uh, mentors are play an important part of my life and play an important part in a lot of people's, you know, what, what mentors have you had along the way? I mean, I've had great mentors in my life. I've been so fortunate, um, like going back to high school, you know, my parents were wonderful people, you know, but they weren't great advisors in terms of career advice. Right. And so, uh, you know, I had high school teachers that took a great tremendous interest in me and that I kept in touch with long after I graduated from high school. My uh, first boss at Cargill, Maria, is still a really close mentor to me. She actually is the one that gave me the guidance that led me to name my company Cerna Social as opposed to something else that I was thinking of. You know, um, I think that mentors are so extremely important um, to to being successful as a working professional. And I, you know, I love to also mentor people because I feel like you should you should hold up your end of the bargain, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I post one of my favorite pictures that I posted on on, uh, on my account back a couple months ago was with uh, Lou Alcindor um, holding John Wooden's hand, walking him across the court, right? Yep. And uh, it says, you know, we never forget the people who put us where we were and we're always there, you know, to help That's them. That's it. Right, That's which, it. Which is, which is awesome. What's the best piece of career advice you've ever gotten? Oh, so hard, right? Um, <laughs> this actually goes back to my reporting days. When I was a cub reporter in, the, in my first professional newsroom, I was assigned a newsroom mentor. This was in Lansing, Michigan. His name was John Schneider. He was the um, seven-day-a-week columnist, which is such a rare thing at a newspaper. Um, and I used to being a little bit of a control freak. I used to fret over like, should I say uh or the or you know which word should I use? And one day he just looked at me and he said, Sue, writing is like painting. You just have to decide you're done. <laughs> and I thought that was fantastic. And I still think about that when I'm writing content. That's awesome. Um, thank you, Sue, for being on today. Uh, a lot of great points for people and a lot of great advice in an area that's still new for, uh, for many of us. If people wanna find out more about your, uh, your company and you, where do, what's the best place to go? Yep, my website's uh, cernasocial.com. Please check it out. And uh, my email's sue at cernasocial.com. So I would love to hear from anybody. Awesome. Well, thanks for, uh, for being on. And the audience, thanks for your time today. 
Thank you for joining the CEO to CEO podcast. Join us next time as we uncover data strategies to support mergers, acquisitions, divestitures with the world's top CEOs.